Hi friends, I'm Rob Voigt, and this is Protopia. This is a series of conversations with the people that are envisioning a better world and making it our new reality. We'll be talking about successes and failures, about next steps and those important first steps, and the inspirations and journeys that have brought us together in this time, in this place. And we'll find out where we go from here. My guest today is my amazing bride, Krista. We discuss bravery, empathy, and trust in our relationships with others and ourselves. Krista talks about how the choices that we make lead to diverse paths in life, while common threads remain. And when recognized, we see that those are our superpowers. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So here we are on the first uh, official episode of Protopia that includes a guest. And what better guest than my lovely bride, Krista? Hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure why you're interviewing your wife, but we'll, we'll see what comes out of it. Yeah, that is a good question. Fair you know me to, better than anyone, so. <laughs> well, fair enough to ask. So the purpose of the podcast, again, is to talk to folks that are involved in making the world a better place, whatever that looks like, right? So driving towards a better future and making it real. And so that's why it's so important for me to start with you. Okay. So we're in the middle or some part of whatever this COVID journey is and all the things that have come about with that, and the social and cultural reckoning and all that. And for me, this was to start something new, something that was inspirational. And it had to start off with my conversation with you, because there's no one else in my life who drives as much inspiration as you do. We've had, obviously, many great conversations and that, But your role in my life is more than just being my partner. You're a life coach. You're a professional coach to me. You've been and are a business partner on many occasions, but most of all, you've been catalyst for positive change in my life. And I've seen that role that you play that way with others as well. So I'm jumping right into, you know, kind of a bit of a heavy thought here. Do you see yourself as a catalyst for positive change do you recognize that uh i think like you there's there are certain ways that we approach life so we since day one we've not just been partners in in love and life but also in learning and in work and how we approach work and strategy and you know I think a lot of couples go to work 
and come home and leave work at work, but we've never really done that. I think we fully immerse ourselves in all aspects of life and and our relationship is is built on that foundation where we even if we're not you know working in a company together, just our kind of approach to life is very much a live, love, work, um, and working together and sharing ideas. And in the times that we have worked together for a specific company or on projects, and and that's true whether it's working for a company or even building a house together or doing renovations together, we somehow always seem to be able to you know, strategize and bring our skills together and our knowledge and our different ways of seeing things in a way that just really meshes very well. And, you know, there are a lot of people that renovate a house and then almost get divorced. But we, (laughs) we seem to, you know, we've had real estate agents say that, you know, they've never seen a couple make decisions so quickly together. So I think we magnify each other's strengths in a way maybe if I were a single person out in the world doing some of those things maybe I wouldn't be as quick to decide but it's kind of like having somebody who has your back but in the bigger context of life I think we both share a I don't know I did this like when it, you know, there's Myers, Meyer Briggs and a bunch of different personality tests and that kind of thing. Sometimes those things can give you some insight, but I, I would say one of my signature strengths and one of your signature strengths is bravery and not being afraid to tackle things that are new and not being afraid of change. A lot of people are really afraid of change. And I think I've been criticized, maybe even you have been criticized for maybe liking change too much. But, you know, early in our first days together, we moved a lot. You know, we were in Vancouver, we were in Colorado, and then we were in, uh, you know, Washington State, and then BC and back to Washington State. And, you know, that was a lot of moving around but then oddly like as being in organizations I think anywhere that I've worked the organization has changed and then also working with startups like starting things that are new and and reworking things but then in other ways we don't change at all so I think you know if you look at the fact that we've been married for 20 years. So yeah, we've moved a lot and there've been And we've changes. always moved together. So <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, so you know, it depends on what you're looking at in life. I think there are places where we reinvent our relationship over and over again, but maybe we create so much change or assist with change in a variety of different contexts and then that makes it even more important to have your home base secure stable that place kind of like a launching pad I think it's it's a lot more difficult to spearhead anything that involves really difficult stuff 
if your kind of roots and foundation aren't solid. If I can jump in right there, it's that last point. You, I mean, I've taken some notes here. You've hit on so many things that I definitely want to explore, not only because I'm interested and I'm always interested in hearing where you go with these things, but I think it will really add to what this podcast is supposed to be. But that stable base or foundation, if it weren't for that, this conversation and the other conversations I'm going to have, they just would not be possible. Not only do we magnify our strengths, as you said, but there's a real synergy there as well. And they're also in play in a way where they allow for things to move forward in a way that is complementary and to get us through those various challenges that everyone has. Whereas if I know, again, back to what I was saying before, that your influence on me is a catalyst for positive change. So there were times and are times in my life where I don't think the outcomes would be as positive if it wasn't the fact that that you were involved. And I, I see you doing this in, in, in many, many ways. I mean, to, to keep it still focused maybe on a very personal uh, perspective, and we can build on sort of outwardly from there, even just looking at the way you presented the world and taught our two boys about the world, starting from when they were babies to toddlers, it was always on a, on a very positive perspective that the world is, is a magical place. It's a wonderful place. It's a place filled with love. And this perspective that the lives that Xavier and Rowan were going to lead and the world that they were doing this in is full of positive potential. Um, and yeah, there'd be challenges and you've prepared them for that as well. But it, it just, to me, is it seems to be a mindset that you've had um, well, regardless of the, the challenges. A sort of common theme, I think, that runs through all of that, whether you're parenting or, or in a marriage or any kind of relationship is it's about honoring somebody else's interpretation of their surroundings. So for example, you don't need to tell a child that strangers are scary or don't talk to them or, you know, they're going to kidnap you. Or I think what's more important than saying, watch out for the, the, the scary strangers is honoring your child when they meet somebody and you can see that they're somehow put off by them. Don't dismiss that. You don't need to plant ideas of fear if you're honoring their feelings and helping them to trust their feelings. So if they're playing with another child and or even when they're teenagers, if they're gravitating towards some students more than others, and you may not understand why, but, you know, just listening and not judging. I think there were a couple of cases where I encouraged our others to be friends with somebody because I thought they were a nice person. And, you know, he would put his foot down and, and say no. It really affirmed for me that you know, when we realized some things that were going on later, it really affirmed for me that, yeah, he's, 
he's making the right choices and it's okay to have the conversation and and listen and and be able to trust. So I think I think it's very very important in relationships to help your partner, your family members, your coworkers, your friends, you know, instead of speaking for them because so, there are there are lots of people who want change and are for change, but it's all about imposing their ideas and values. And we've seen that a lot through this pandemic whether you should wear a mask, whether you should follow protocols, whether you should get vaccinated or not. It's all about people pushing their beliefs and their value system on others, where I think if people did more listening, they would find that people have good reasons for making the choices that they do. And I mean, not always. I mean, we can I mean, there's lots we can say in this, but it's all we can really do is is really listen and not judge and then see what comes out of that. You know, sometimes there is a place for discernment and for putting your foot down and saying what you're doing is destructive or what you're doing is, you know, and that's true with kids and teenagers and with your partner or with with anyone, you can you can see where certain choices they're making might not be in their best interest, but it shouldn't be about me imposing my, my ideas. It's kind of weird because I I think of myself as being a kind of a judgmental analytical sort of person in a lot of ways. Um, I remember when my, my sister said to me when we were just teenagers oh my gosh, you are the least judgmental person of anyone I know. And I remember really like just being pretty young and thinking, wow, that kind of surprised surprises me because in my head, like internally, there's a lot of analyzing going on. Yeah. I'd agree with, with your sister's perspective. It's, it's your approach to things. Yeah, I can see that there's a, there's a lot of thought put into it. And maybe through that, because that's a conversation you're having internally, you're feeling that you're you're making those um, judgments. But I say I'd say it's more of the assessment on where do I feel or where do I see this person standing within the situation I'm trying to make sense of. You're far less turbulent in your worldview than I am. I see myself as a whole swirling mess of contradictions. You know, I'm a dreamer, but I'm a I'm a realist. I have an artist's perspective, but I'm a perfectionist. I'm wildly pessimistic and equally optimistic at the same time, right? So these are tensions that combine to create my view of the world. You don't seem to have that same kind of outwardly turbulence. And well, I'd say and maybe I, even a, a kinder view of the world. So what, what well, words I, would I you describe? Wanna, I don't want to play the gender card here too, but that's also partly, you know, Boys can be very aggressive and and domineering when they're quite young or they were in a bad mood or just have a very serious face or ask a very serious question. And, and they're typically there isn't a lot of backlash necessarily. But I mean, I remember in the extended family, if I was having a serious moment, there may have been conversations going on that I was listening to and they were very serious. And yet if they turned and looked at me, I was expected to be smiling and having a good time. And I think for a lot of women, not all, 
the humility, modesty, you know, you're supposed to be agreeable, unpretentious. And then, you know, later on in life, when you going through things like pregnancy and childbirth, and you've witnessed a lot of different life contexts that bring out your your compassion. So, but also then going back to what your your strengths and superpowers are, everybody has certain superpowers and those can be incredible assets. They can also be areas of weakness. So for me, bravery and humility are two of the top things and then love of learning, honesty, and then fairness as well is something that I can get hung up on. Um, And life is not always fair, but I do seek balance and and I am very tolerant. And I've been told in the past, sometimes too tolerant. I've had friends say, you know, that I'm giving people second and third chances long after I should have shut the door and walked away. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's because I believe in our human capacity for change and growth. And I tend to see when you see the light in someone and the good in someone, for me, that tends to outshine whatever struggle they're, they're stuck in. And it's only been more recently with being older and learning to put some of my own needs and self-care and you know that's something that COVID-19 I mean I was working on that before COVID-19 but that's also something that COVID-19 has kind of reaffirmed or brought out more where you know we all need to think about our health and many of us have been in lockdown and so you you know you try to find ways to deal with sort of your mental health and those kinds of things. And and it's also brought out the best and worst in people. Maybe some of those people who, you know, were very difficult before became more difficult. And maybe some of those difficult people became less difficult, because all of a sudden, they were focused on priorities. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of, for whatever reason, in my life, like as an individual, some of that has been as a couple, we've been through and, and seen together, but some of it is also just, you know, because I have my own personal friends or family who have gone through stuff. But I think for whatever reason, I've been thrown more than my fair share of sort of crises situations. And that goes back even to being very, very young. And, you know, my brother, sister, and I were, you know, alone with our father at our cottage property when when he died. And so, and he'd had a stroke prior to that. So there seems to be kind of a common theme of having these immense challenges. And there are superpowers that sort of, whether or not they were always there from day one, or whether or not those superpowers kind of emerged through certain life experiences early on. I think most of us were not aware of what those superpowers are, but other people point them out to us. Yeah. This idea of, of being brave. So on the one hand, I've seen you 
as far back as I've known you, and even hearing stories from before, you're very much a seer of future things and, and you expose people to new possibilities. So you were brave early on in your education, looking at healthy built environment things. Then you were looking at early childhood learning uh, and then concepts of, of heart math and environmental health. And even the way you've done business development, always very brave in advancing things and getting involved, even before things were leading edge, when they were still bleeding edge in many ways. And then also a whole nother level of bravery, going back to the idea of making the world a better place through your personal relationships. This is your kindness and your bravery are, as you say, your superpowers, because that has literally taken you across the continent and across the world a number of times where you were in service to people that were important to you. You traveled across the globe because someone you knew needed that support that you could give. That's a particularly inspiring and brave thing. So where, where does that kind of drive and compassion for action come from? I don't know. <laughs> okay, next question. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I like any any one situation or any one thing that or experience that emerged in that way at the time just seemed like a one-off. But if I if I look back over time, it's been time and time again. So it's it's a common thread throughout. <laughs> and one other thing I'll add to that is that you when we've talked about this before, and I think this is helpful for people that are out there trying to make the world a better place, particularly when you're dealing with, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that is seriously broken and that needs our attention. And it can be daunting and it can be exhausting and overwhelming. And so your superpower can also be, can be your kryptonite, right? It can be the thing that damages you. And one of those for you is your capacity for empathy, right? I think that's what drives some of these things that you can do. And that's powerful, but a very sensitive, you know, kind of set of skills that you have because you can hit kind of thresholds in that where it does start to act more like a kryptonite, you know, the Superman. Uh, yeah. Burnout. Right? Yeah. yeah. Because it can really lead to burnout and sometimes putting others before yourself. I think somebody who are being really critical of me might say that I'm playing the martyr or some weird thing like that. But I think in those relationships, whether it's with a friend or a coworker or a family member, I think there are some people who are just better at handling a crisis than others. And for whatever reason, I have a lot of strength in that area. And, you know, I told you once that when I was originally looking at career, one of the things I considered was critical incident debriefing. <laughs> and it's kind of funny looking back on it now. But at the time I thought, oh no, there, there'll never be enough real emergencies in, in the world. I wouldn't have enough work if I was only needed for some sort of emergency preparedness situation and responding in a crisis. And it partly came out of my experience with Youth Challenge International and working with the professionals who prepared us for going to 
into the interior of Guyana. And it also, when we came back and we went through our debriefing and things like culture shock were real. And and then I'd had my own experiences as a child having to, you know, at a very young age, respond to a crisis situation. And, you know, when my father had his first stroke, I was the one standing next to him. So I'm sort of comfortable in that space for whatever reason, I guess, because I've been there enough times that I, I know kind of, I can sort of trust myself to respond in a, an effective way. It's a two-sided relationship you have there with your, with your empathy. It's very empowering, a force for positive with your relationships and just generally the world that in the space you occupy. It's the natural ability is to be able to respond in a crisis. And and that's, that's true even with just dealing with change in general too. being able to respond in a like calm and confidence. And I I don't know why, you know, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing if I have to go to a, to a funeral or something, because I tend to go into that mode and it can make me seem, I don't know, because I'm not having a dramatic emotional response that you're, comes later. <laughs> yeah, you're very, you're very together. Yeah. And I think it comes from, or one of the places it comes from, that you have this positive perspective that generally things lead to a positive end result, that the world is a place filled with love and with beauty. And so you can only get more love and beauty as you go through these things. You don't see the world in a downward spiral. Regardless of how terrible things are, it seems that you have this perspective that there is a way to get to a better place. That in itself is a very um, a very calming and positive thing for folks. It creates, creates a level of trust too, right? And these are kinds of things that as you're saying that, that I'm writing down that I want to make sure I have, because I think these are things that are worth exploring with other other people as well. I'd like to kind of shift a little bit because we've been talking about how important you are and have been and continue to be in my life and those others around you. But one part of that is that you've always had mentors in your life, right? I mean, I think you were really the person who introduced me to the idea of having mentors outside of a professional role, right? And they've been part of your life for different aspects of who you are, you know, body, mind, and spirit. So how do those relationships form or like, how do you seek them out? Are you just aware that there's that possibility? Help me and and other folks sort of understand how that kind of mentorship can be supportive in your life. I I think in all honesty, I've never actually set out to find a mentor. I've never really thought of myself as somebody looking for it's interesting because I've never set out to find a mentor but just through relationship building it just happens it's a very sort of organic thing that kind of unfolds when you're in learning mode and you have a love for learning And I think the biggest thing is admitting to yourself 
what you don't know. And it opens you up to a whole world of possibilities because if you walk around with a big ego thinking that you know everything, there isn't room for people to come into your life who have information to share. And I think when I look back on my greatest successes in life, I walked through those situations with an openness and naturally gravitated. And I I think in some cases, I was just being me and doing what I do in some situation and would find myself being approached by somebody. So So on that point, then, particularly that idea of people approaching you, have you considered how you are in a reciprocal mentorship relationship and that your growth offers growth in exchange? I think sometimes where we put energy out into the world, helping people, it comes back to you through somebody else. You know, that that's been my experience. Like I think a lot of the people who have really helped me in certain areas of my life, whether it was personal or professional, when we had some interesting parenting challenges with our firstborn and, you know, I connected with Tina Feigl. I don't think I could ever offer anything to Tina that would be (laughs) useful for her. Um, She's just on a level in what she does, helping parents with their, their kids and their teenagers that I really, I, you know, I I couldn't ever see her coming to me for any sort of advice on something. But there have been lots of situations where I've helped somebody else and maybe they were, they weren't in a position or place in their life. You know, oftentimes people, when they're going through some sort of crisis, they, they don't have room or space in what they're going through to worry about you or what's going on with you. You know, even to a point of maybe not even being able to ask, well, how are you doing? So um, I think that's a real gift to be able to help somebody and not expect anything in return. There's no expectation there. And, And I've never approached caregiving or helping others in any sort of way that is like, okay, I'm here to help you now. It's not putting myself above you in some way, or oftentimes it's just seeing what the person is going through and, and recognizing recognizing what they're going through through listening and there's a mutual understanding. And then that person will ask for help. They'll literally say, please fly here and attend court with me. Please help me come and make this move to to leave this bad situation I'm in. I'm I'm depressed and I need to leave this particular relationship or situation. Or a parent trying to work through something difficult with their child or a teenager who's come to me because they've just been through something. Like a teenager I don't even know personally. And I think it's asking, you know, how can I help? They see how you can help. And then my question is, well, how can I help? What would you, you know, here, here are the options. Here are the choices. Here are a couple of different strategies. What would you like to do? It's never me imposing 
It's never me saying, this is what I think you should do, or you have to do this, or you have to go to the police, or you have to, have to, have to. It's always, this is what I hear you saying. You know, what would you like to do? And then when mentorship has come to me, so the first time, you know, when I was developing property and didn't know the first thing about how to finance something like that, or I had my undergraduate degree, but there were a lot of things I didn't know about, you know, in the realm of urban planning or process or any of those things. And I didn't have a lot of experience in project management. I think somehow I surrounded myself with a team of people and it's just asking the right questions, the right person. Maybe maybe it's luck. I don't know. But somehow I, I would find myself with a circle of advisors, people who are very willing to help and give of themselves without expecting anything in return. Because, you know, I wasn't paying them for their service. I wasn't working for them, providing some sort of service in exchange for that. They were just willing to step up and say, I can see what you're trying to do here. And I'd like to help. I have some information to share, or I can, I'm going to refer you to this person or that person. And it just unfolds. It just evolves. I definitely say it's it's not luck, right? So you have your open offer of your gifts that people recognize. Um, you also are talking about that this openness to learning and driving forward with questions, right? That's something that we don't do enough of. And a for lack of a better word, a humbleness of your expertise in a variety of areas, actually, but to still come forward with questions as opposed to seeing a challenge and jumping right into a solution mode. That's something that I've learned more and more from you because I I definitely am jumping right into the solution you know, halfway through the problem statement, right? So I'm I'm trying to do a lot more of the okay. Well, let's let's hear this all out. Let's drive forward with questions, right? Which is critically important, uh, and that's actually something that I'm going to be talking to Cormac Russell uh, about uh, on the asset based community development uh, stuff. Which you and I, independent of even really knowing the philosophy behind that, we have done a lot of that work together when we've done workshops in communities and all that, right? So again, learning through experience and from your perspective of that questioning approach. And I think that's also allowed you to step into all different scales of environments or spaces, right? Like at the local level, all the way to the national level, dealing with policy issues, familial things, neighborly concerns, deep into a number of uh, kind of legal frameworks where you were doing work. It's really, really interesting that you're able to take those basic principles of being open, of a perspective of learning and driving through questions, obviously combined with your personality and intellect and all that, that is a seems to be a common thread. Does that do, do you see that, that those three things could be part of it? 
yeah, that those things is I think in addition to you've heard me say this often, I think you and I both have a, a systems approach to thing we things. We see things from many different levels, from different contexts. There's the being open to having a deeper understanding rather than just responding off the cuff to what we see on the surface and a willingness to dig deep with things. Curiosity, you know, intelligence is great, but without curiosity and, and listening and sort of an unassuming modesty or questioning, is what I'm seeing here all there is or is there more to the situation? Asking questions of others, asking questions of self, being, you know, people like to throw around the, the words be authentic or authenticity. I prefer to just to use the word sincere. I think just always being aware of what your reasons are for why you're participating in something, because even being the helper who goes and helps people, obviously I get something out of that too. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. I mean, am I, you know, I'm not a saint. So, but maybe what I get out of it is I think I get to use skills and abilities that I can't use in other places. So, and that always feels good. Anytime that you, you could be in a horrible situation and really you feel the pain of that situation because it's, it's tough and it's hard. It's really, really hard. But somehow, because you get to use your key strengths, utilize those for good. And for whatever reason, you have an ability to navigate certain situations, strategize. There's something about that that just feels good. And that is bigger than whatever the difficulties are in that situation. Yeah, that's that openness to learning. And I think one, the fourth one I would add to that, that is a huge driver, I think, is, is the idea of having these connections with people. And that is also exhibited not only on the questions and your role in a lot of these uh, projects and the, these actions you take in your life, making the world a better place for, for individuals as well as for national organizations that you've worked with, your ability to understand or perceive what it's like for those people you're working with or whom you're serving is pretty extraordinary too. I think an excellent example was when you were doing your, your master's thesis, and then you actually replicated some of this when we were doing work in Washington state with the youth rally we did, where you were using graphic recording communication uh, for your thesis work to be able to use that in the workshops. Again, we're going back a bunch of years when that was so not on the radar. I mean, you had a hard time, you knew you wanted to do this, but you had a hard time finding someone who could do it, right? Because it wasn't really uh, an option, but you recognized that the way you were expressing that information, it was so important for the audience to be able to to tap into it. So it wasn't just about the facts um, and, and just stating them in a very standard way. It was that you, ha you had a strong commitment to a, a communication that drove a connection, 
right? Because otherwise it would just be a report based or tables and charts and all that. You wanted to make sure that what you were trying to say was being received. And that that's above and beyond just getting the task done. That becomes a reciprocal relationship that you can build on. Yes, because most teenagers don't want to read like 300 page, 300 page reports. <laughs> uh, most adults don't either. And I'd most, say. <laughs> of the, most of the adults on the board aren't going to read that. So what's the fastest, quickest way to get the message across? And um, yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, it's not, it's not like I go out looking to be innovative and looking at the latest trends. Sometimes those things are born out of just asking the questions, what's the best path? And I actually wanted to, to do the graphic facilitation myself, but I knew I couldn't listen to the participants and do the drawing at the same time effectively. So that was where I had to go find somebody. So yeah, it was kind of something that was just starting to emerge out there where people were starting to use some graphic facilitation, but I just thought it'd be really cool. Uh, yeah, I think it's always important to look at your audience and what what will speak to them the most and and what will have some longevity because a very long report will probably just end up in recycling, but a graphic image will be around. Now it's kind of funny because that was that was back at a time like just before social media took off. So some of the details in in the the images are like wouldn't exist today or would be missing things today. You know, there wouldn't have been any social media or uh, but some of those themes and whatnot where they're universal and you know it's just about tapping into how how you communicate with your audience well and that's a perfect example where i've benefited from you being in my life professionally because that was an inspiration for me to to use those same techniques in a number of years later when it became more readily available and i've used them in consulting and private sector and public sector venues and and not just the technique but also the mindset behind it you know to drive to a, a better future i'm really intrigued when you said the path or finding the path forward you're never referring to the answer the solution problem solving any other framework you know or, or language you might use to describe that you're very from what i'm hearing you're very open to, you know, there's a circumstance, challenge, a role, uh, some sort of impetus for this organization or individual to, to be moving forward. And you take up that challenge with your skills. Again, as I said, those, those things that you, those gifts that you bring on to offer, and then you find the path forward. And you just let that evolve. You're not very linear in that perspective. And I'd like to understand more, more about that because that's in itself could be a wildly frightening proposition 
for some someone trying to again in any in those organizations you're in right a lot of times you come in and they're already on their journey they're trying to shoehorn it into a process it's not working and you're far more open to well we will find the path and and we know we'll come out the other side to the right place whatever that is yeah and the reality is sometimes you'll be in a in a at a meeting or part of an organization or or a group or a team that you know where you can't you can't where maybe your voice doesn't count for much and you you're not going to be able to impact that group maybe it's maybe in very very small ways but there are so many opportunities where people and teams, organizations are hungry for the growth and change. It's kind of like when you go to, when you look at romantic relationships or friendships and family, you know, I remember somebody said something to me once, you know, why would someone pour so much energy into loving somebody who can't receive it, can't, can't accept it and doesn't want it? When there are so many individuals and people who would open their arms to you and accept that love and, you know, and again, it's not necessarily about when you give about it coming back, but I think we can put a lot of energy into pouring our our gifts and our time and energy into something only to find that there's a lack of openness on the other side. You have to try, you have to put your best foot forward, but there are so many other situations where the people on the other end are, are open to what you're offering. And so go That's, there. It's interesting because in many ways and many things do need to, you know, we need to fight the good fight, right? Like we, we all get that. And I know you're not saying, Oh, just go where it's easy, but there's something really to be said for running with champions right? Find the people that get it. And particularly now we have so many highly important local all the way up to international global issues that need our attention, but we can't spend all our time convincing those that don't get it. We got to get the work done. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, there are times when putting up that fight is a waste of your resource, your gift. You can make the greater change by not trying to convince people or somehow coerce process that isn't ready for that evolution because you can get to that same point with a different group of people, different project, what have you. Um, that's something that you have told me plenty of times and, and uh, I'm starting to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, but it's sometimes not... sometimes it's about best fit, sometimes it's about timing, sometimes sometimes it's about what you need or what, what we need as an individual. So there's so many different ways to look at that. But you know, I, I think sometimes people get into a situation where it's just it's just not the right fit. Well, it's it's like you our know? friend uh our, our friend Dan Burden, right? He works with an organization with blue zones now where when there are communities that want to undergo their process of making their communities more healthy and, and vibrant, they do a readiness test to simplify it. Let's call it a, a consultant relationship. But the consultant is 
making the potential client go through a readiness test so that they're more likely to have success, which is better for everyone that they ever work with, right? And there, and he's told me stories where there are communities that maybe weren't ready, and but they come back later, and they are right. So there's at a pretty large scale the ability to do that, and and I'm sure there's things there that we can model in our own lives. Again, the readiness of you know it's not even just the, the folks you're working with; it can be yourself too, right? Maybe some of that fit. It's not about them, right? <laughs> you got you got yeah exactly. In, you got to look in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> On that thought, the thing that I want to say, it kind of reminds me of First Nations uh, um, singer and actor Tom Jackson, uh, was one of the uh, the stars of um, North of 60, one of my favorite shows. He's got this great quote that says, you know, gazing into the future doesn't change it, looking into the mirror does, right? And I think we can mm-hmm. see that, we could see that in our own roles yeah. on, on who we're working with and what we're trying to achieve, right? So to your point about, you know, working with those people where there is that good fit, right? Those, those champions that are willing to run with you. Kind of bring it back to something else you had just mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, you've done this work, which goes back quite some time now, uh, about three decades, when you decided to build a mall to secure your mother's retirement. And as if that wasn't enough, to also create a location for a restaurant and an inspired food creation endeavor that you generated. So, cause that's the best thing to do is become a developer and a restaurateur all the same time. Right. But back then that was you as a woman in her early twenties and what was obviously a, a male dominated field, but now here we are and you're doing it again, but things have changed in terms of opportunities. There are far more women in the development industry in that, I mean, everyone recognizes that, but the fact that you and your sister have now founded a development corporation, so it's led by women, that's still pretty extraordinary. So when Krista, the developer, looks into the future that you're creating, you know, what does she see? You know, what changes do you recognize for the future and what challenges do you recognize for being in that path that you're now going to to follow? I think there are, again, some superpowers and natural um, strengths, but there's, there are also like some major gaps in, in my knowledge and in terms, you know, this is a much bigger project. So I think it goes back to what we talked about before, when you surround yourself with the right team and advisors, when you're commit to that in a way, or it's a necessity, almost like a part of your survival, then you start looking for opportunities all around you in terms of what you could do. And I've always been open to the possibility of working with my sister, even going back to when we were very, very young, and we'd be sitting sitting around the campfire and talking about the things we would do in the future together. And and um, I think she I think I always have it in the back of my mind and she always just had it in the back of her mind. I'm, I'm pretty sure, certain of that. Even when we've lived very far away, you know, she's in another country. And, you know, maybe it goes back to growing up in a, in a family where all of the brothers and sisters were 
involved in each other's businesses and construction industry and being a kid and I love to spend my vacation days or PD days at my father's shop and in in the office and playing secretary or whatever, Um, you know, so, you know, and my father was somebody who made a point of giving young women opportunities. He had a, a young lady who was a carpenter. So his background in Hungary and then being the firstborn child in that culture tradition in our family it's not all about the boys being number one like you can be a woman and go in construction you can be a girl and be an engineer you know there are a lot of Hungarian engineers who are women and so I think it's partly just being born into it that when you're around it you think you can do it and then all of the expertise that that you bring to the table and like I, <laughs> I, I joke about, you know, uh, you know, that everywhere we go, it's always, you know, planner speak <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I've ruined a lot been. of, <laughs> a lot of vacations, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, but I think it's great. I think, well, I, it's that connection, the openness, the learning, you mean, you mentioned we both actually were in the same faculty, different programs at University of Waterloo. I mean, you did your master's degree in organizational leadership and training from the Royal Roads University, arguably the best university for that program. You take all that background, you take your undergrad, you take your perspective that you have, and you've become a real polymath. I mean, you have all these skills, all these interests. And I can only see that it is through these grounding principles that allowed you to create and find that path that worked for you with that perspective of the world. What recommendations would you pass on to the younger generation seeking to chart their own path? You know, how do, how do you design your life to move forward from the perspective of Krista, the, the educator, the coach? the developer, the mother, the caregiver, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I think number one is that our parents' generation and before, some folks from that generation worked for the same company their entire lives. You know, if you worked for Bell Canada or you became a school teacher, you know, like I remember my mother saying many times how excited she was about our development project back in the 90s, because she'd always wanted to try something other than teaching. And so I think in the past, it was kind of taboo, like the way you would be viewed if you jumped around with your interests and career trajectory. I think, I think what I would say is that trust that what you gravitate to that over the long haul, someday you're going to look back and it'll all make sense. You know, and I remember, you know, I worked for the Board of Education in my 20s, facilitating a math science technology program where I met with school teachers and did training sessions. And then I met with engineers and technicians and did training sessions, preparing them for going into the classroom. And I, I was only just out of university and I remember sitting across from him probably at a Tim Hortons he was older and he was an engineer and I said you know it's really hard to put together a resume because 
at that point, I'd only had, you know, a few jobs, but I said, my resume isn't something where, where it's going to be in the same field with a gradual stepping up in positions and authority and responsibility and that kind of thing. Like I was commenting very early on about how concerned I was about this, how, you know, how you even put a resume together when you have, how do you do it when you have such a diverse background and as an employer and as a mentor, he really helped me to see, to focus on the transferable skills from one field to another. One of the reasons I chose Royal Roads and that particular program was that I felt that the learning, like there was an emphasis on change management, but more importantly, adult learning and all the different learning styles and research methods. Because I learned from the first degree about the importance of some of the things learned there, even though I didn't continue on in the field of environmental science. There were so many things in that education that were transferable. So I really made sure that my master's degree, I, I could never really narrow things down to, you know, I'm going to be a dentist <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or, a, a you know, a grade 10 phys ed teacher or a, you know, science teacher. So I think my advice would be a lot of young people feel a lot of pressure when they're making their decisions about what university to go to or whether to go to university at all and what path to take. I think I would just say that if you really pay attention to what you're gravitating towards and ask yourself the hard questions and explore it with an openness and a sense of bravery and adventure, and don't worry too much about what other people think of you, because that's that's a huge factor if you worry about what other people think. Just because somebody else doesn't see the the value in changing course, if you've changed courses multiple times, you know, why did I do my parent coach certification if I'm not coaching parents today? Well, I, I did that like for our kids and also because someday maybe we'll have grandkids and maybe, you know, some of those skills are extremely transferable. I see a lot of what I learned in that certification program um, applied to working now as senior citizens when and being a caregiver and when you're you're trying to work through things with somebody who doesn't want change and the aging process is so difficult and losing your independence is so difficult and so a lot of those communication strategies I'm applying to different contexts. And so I would say trust your judgment when you feel that you need to learn something in a particular area. There must be some reason why you need to learn that and why you're there doing it. Eventually, it will be revealed to you all of the different ways that you applied it later on. You can't you can't sit here now and say, well, this is how I'm going to apply it. And I commit to doing ABC and then 
like we don't always know what that what that path is going to look like later on and obviously that's very different in some fields than others but that's just not me and i think a lot of people and a lot of young people will have to change and adapt over time and might go through multiple career changes and it's it's okay and you'll circle back to certain things and and it won't matter if you're 20 or 40 or 60 you're you're going to question certain things and that's okay too so i think the love of learning is the important part and being brave and not thinking that you know it all and being okay with not knowing it all being honest with yourself about things that's excellent you've shared all these common threads you have a theme of creating your life and these things that are the touchstones of that. Um, and you've shared a bunch of those. So in fact, you are not only the first conversation, but the, the exemplar of what this is supposed to be about creating a better world, imagining it and creating it. And that's that's phenomenal. And those last comments you made, I think are, are excellent and, and something that definitely people should be sharing and thinking about how they view their their life moving forward and those that, that they care about. So Krista Lovericks, thanks for trusting your judgment and becoming Krista Voigt. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for this first conversation on my podcast. I look forward to uh, to what you're going to create in the future and what we're going to create together. And I have to stop talking now because I'm going to get all teary. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you for making me your first interview. I think you're crazy, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's and perfect. and I think it's great that you're doing your podcasts. Thank awesome. you. I will talk to you soon. Love you. Love you too.